Welcome to the Coaching for Leaders podcast. Hey everyone, I'm your host Dave Shep. Today we're going to be covering a range of topics on leadership, life purpose, goals, and what you're doing in your life to be happy. I'm a business coach, life coach, and I got a bit of woo-woo in me. I've been creating leaders for over 25 years, and I hope that this show inspires you to bring out your hidden potential and empowers you to live your passion. Let's go ahead and start today's show. And welcome everybody to Coaching for Leaders podcast. I am so excited today because one of my addictions has agreed to be on my show. And in fact, that really should be in his bio is highly addictive. There should be like a disclaimer because (laughs) when you start going down the rabbit hole, that is Rob Moore, the disruptive entrepreneur. uh, Oh my God, the the places that you get led, are just you feel so good about yourself so rob i want to thank you so much for being here today my pleasure dave thanks for having me on your coaches coaching for leaders podcast i'm excited to be here thank you yeah i discovered you uh pretty recently actually on on clubhouse um you, you know and you're the just the the way that you give information freely to people to help them is, is something that i that i respect you know i try and do that a lot uh, and I encourage my clients to do that. And I encourage leaders to do that because that's what this world needs is we just need to make the world a better place. And when I came across you, Rob, I, I was so um, just just mesmerized with everything you do. You run multiple business. You're an investor. You have a foundation that helps new entrepreneurs find you know the help that, that they might need. You're a content creator. You're, you're an author so many times over um, that it's just, it, it's amazing. So what... Uh, what is the, the big thing for me when I'm dealing with people is I always tell people that you have to increase your self-worth before you can increase your net worth. Have, have you come across that in, in, in things that you do when you're working with people? Yes. So we had a good debate about this in a clubhouse room, actually, because a few people were trying to say, well, no, your self-worth isn't really related to your net worth because I know some very rich people who have low self-worth, but I don't believe that's the case. I think wealthy people have high worth in areas they value and they've converted that value into money. And I don't think that you can convert a value into money when you have low value and worth in that area. So, um, you know, if, if someone is beautiful and they have high value and worth in their area of beauty, they're going to be able to convert that into money through maybe modeling or being photographed. If someone is an entrepreneur and they have a high value and high worth in that area, they're going to create that confidence into a product or service. But if they have low value and low worth, then they're never going to project themselves, promote themselves. They're always going to have shame and guilt um, and not feeling like they're good enough. You know, when people have a great message to share, but they don't put themselves out on social media because they're worried about the rejection, the criticism, the ridicule, the making mistakes publicly. So I strongly believe that your self-worth is related to your net worth. And if if some say your network is your net worth, I'd probably say your self-worth times your network is your net worth. Because if you have low self-worth and you don't feel deserving, and someone offers you money, you're going to reject it. They mm-hmm. offer an opportunity, you're going to say, oh, I'm worried about it, I'm scared. And this is a bit hot off the press, so I'll say it to you, Dave, but not anyone else. But um, I've just agreed to interview Floyd Mayweather for my podcast. Oh, wow. And um, his bodyguard phoned me yesterday and said, Rob, you need to speak to Floyd before we do this. 
And I was nervous. And I actually thought about not calling him because Floyd Mayweather is obviously very successful, more successful in the, you know, in the common sense than me and, and made more money. But I thought, no, I'm interviewing him for my podcast. I've got to put myself out there and get uncomfortable. And he's only a guy and I'm just going to talk to him. <laughs> and it, it turns out he just said, hey, Rob, we're going to do some motivation. Yeah, on a podcast. Yeah, Rob. And then that was it. So, <laughs> But that challenged my own worth because I don't feel like I'm as worthy as Floyd Mayweather. So there's always levels. Mm -hmm. And if you can challenge yourself to push yourself to the next level by getting comfortably uncomfortable and always knowing that you're a human being and you have your own value, then that will help you. I actually wrote a book on this, Dave. It's called I'm Worth More because I believe everyone is worth more than they perceive they are, unless, of course, they're screwing people over and, and scamming people. So that aside, and I believe when you really understand your true worth, then you can unleash it to the world. Yeah, and, and I, I could, that's one of the biggest things that I try and teach people and I try and live by. Uh, and it took a while for me to get, I mean, I'm 52 years old, but there are times in my past where in my 20s and 30s, I had very low self-esteem, very low self-worth, you, you know, and I had to find all that and had to find that with me. And luckily, I've been able to find some good mentors along the way, people who believe in me. And that, a lot of time, people need someone to believe in them first before they can believe in themselves. And, and so that's where being a mentor, being an active mentor of a participant uh, to look for people that need you is a good thing. One thing about you, Rob, too, is that you are so authentic. And and I, I respect that so much. I mean, I was watching one of one of your videos where you were like, let's let's take the camera and do a 360 of my set. And and it's just like most people want this perfect, you know, image on screen. And you're just like, send it around. And you don't care. You're, you're just like, and you're caught your people off guard because they didn't know you were gonna do it. So it's just like stuff like that. And you know, when you have your mom on your program, you're just you're so authentic with what you do. If there's a, a pause or a blip, you're just like, heck with it. I don't care what people think. And the reason that you're so authentic and, and compassionate is it's not that you don't care what people think because you diminish people. You don't care what they think because you have such high value yourself and I praise for yourself. And just because someone doesn't like you or doesn't think about, you know, good about you, that doesn't bother you. You have some naysayers. And, and I heard a couple of things that you've said about them and you're, you prove them wrong. And, and I just want to say congratulations, but I'd also like to, if you could share with our leaders who are listening with us today, how, how did you come to that mindset? Yeah, well, look, it take, it's taken me time because I've battled my own demons, Dave. So I used to be a really overweight kid. I was the fattest kid in my year. And because I was the fattest kid of the year, I was the butt of all the jokes because the kids don't take the piss out of the second fattest kid. It all goes on the first fattest kid. And that was me. Um, and I hated it. I hated it. But I won't go into the details here. That would be for another time. But what I developed was a coping mechanism, Dave. So I, I figured out a way to make everyone like me and to make, have all the groups like me. I, the girls would like me, not in that way, but I'd get them to like me. Oh, Rob's a nice guy. Um, and then, you know, the guys who are into the rock and the metal and the guys who are good at sport. I managed to get everyone to like me by essentially molding and morphing myself to make me likable to people. And I learned that as a coping mechanism. But the problem growing up and then becoming an entrepreneur is that dilutes who you are because you never really show the world who you are because you're always trying to morph to be liked by someone because you're scared of being ridiculed or, um, you know, bullied. And so I had to unlearn that. And it took time, Dave. It took personal development. 
It took different layers and levels of criticism over time. It took me facing it. It took me putting myself out there. It took me doing some therapy from time to time. It took me trying to understand my own worth and knowing that I'm a unique individual and I'm worthy of love. And even my failures and mistakes uh, make me human and I can forgive myself for those. And I can forgive other people, you know, who maybe um, sort of I felt wronged me, but I was holding a lot of angst. And through that journey, um, I, I think I became more confident in myself, more knowing who I am, Dave. And, and and that means embracing my strengths and not being overly British and humble about it. <laughs> because we can be like that. <laughs> but also honouring my weaknesses and being honest about that. And, you know, I think true wisdom is knowing what you're good at and knowing what you're not good at and being honest about that. And so that really helps because at times when I was young, I tried to lift myself up to get appreciated. So I'd make little fibs about a remote control cars I had or things I'd done just to get liked at school. Um, and so that was sort of trying to lift myself up to be better than I was. And then at times I'd be overly humble when I was a struggling artist. And that's not really any good for art because you've got to put your work out there to get it seen. Mm -hmm. um, but some things I've worked out now, Dave, um, and one of them is that no matter who you are and what you say and what you do, people will simultaneously love you and loathe you, stand for you and against you, support you and challenge you, be a super fan and a super hater. And that you cannot avoid unless you say nothing, do nothing and be nothing. Mm -hmm. And for me, that is more painful than putting myself out there. So I choose the lesser pain, which is putting myself out there. Even recently, I've had a little bit of stick for a, a, a post um, I put out recently with um, good intention, and there's more to the story than a lot of people know, but I've taken some criticism for that. But honestly, I sit here and I go, it's okay, because I know the intentions behind what I was doing and what I actually did that people didn't care to find out was right and from the same place, even if sometimes my language is a bit inelegant or, you know, I post it in a way that other people don't want. But, you know, if I wear clothes like this, some people go, wow, Rob, I love your jacket. And some people go, Rob, are you just going to have a bondage session or have you got a backpack on or whatever? <laughs> so when you truly accept that people will love you and people will loathe you and people will stand for you and people stand against you and people will protect you and people will damage you and people lift you up, will lift you up and people will lift you down. And the reason for that is because we all have a unique set of values. So this, if we all have a unique set of values, Dave, Someone on the planet has the opposite values of me, which means if I'm a capitalist, they're a socialist. You know, if, if I believe in business, they believe in, you know, giving all the money away. If I believe in employing, they believe in employment. If, that, if I believe in full responsibility, they believe in other people looking after them. So because of that, naturally, we have the, the opposite to us. Um, and you find that more the more you put yourself out there, Dave, because the more people can see you and go, oh, yeah, right. Because a lot of people who like me already like me because I'm already like them. A lot of people dislike me already dislike me because I'm not like them. And then there's the few in the middle that I can impact. Um, so I suppose I've become a bit more comfortable in who I am, Dave. Um, and more, I try not to take, I take my work very seriously, but I try not to take myself too seriously. Mm -hmm. If you can't have fun in business, what's the point in doing business? You, if I can't meet cool people like you, I might as well just do nothing. 
And also, here's the thing. A lot of people expect all the upside. Yeah, I want the fans. Yeah, I want the money. Yeah, I want the fame. But they don't want any of the downside that comes. <laughs> That's naive. It doesn't work like that. <laughs> I, I know. I think Elon Musk was on Clubhouse a few weeks ago. Someone asked him um, what words of encouragement um, would you would you give an entrepreneur? And I think his reply was something like, if you need words of encouragement, you shouldn't be an entrepreneur, <laughs> you know, and, and, and that goes hand in hand because it's true. I mean, you really need to, as an entrepreneur, someone said, someone will ask me, you know, hey, do you think I'd be a good entrepreneur? I'm like, okay, spell it. And they're like, what? And I'm like, can you spell the word entrepreneur? And, you know, nine times out of 10 people can't spell it, <laughs> you know, and it's just like, and, and I use that as a joke to, to go on, but it, but it's true. In order to be an entrepreneur, you have to be your authentic self. You have to believe in yourself because you're going to be hit from all sides. Uh, one thing that I, I respect, that I gained respect with you is in this process of, of, of setting up this podcast, I've been dealing with your team. Your team is exceptional. And to me, that tells me what kind of leader you are. And, and I read some of the stuff that you, you put out and you ask one question when you're interviewing of how do you like to be managed? And when I read that, that you, you asked that question, I thought that was a, a brilliant question. And seeing the team that you have in place is, is just incredible. What is, it that you, what is it that you do differently than others that you've created such an incredible team? I think I embrace individuality and maybe some organizations are trying to force their own values and culture on them. I embrace quirkiness and um, even a bit of weirdness because I'm a bit quirky and weird myself. <laughs> so, you know, if some of my team members need to come in early or come in late or want to dress a certain way or are a certain way, I try my best to embrace it. Mm -hmm. So that might might be different. Um, I think I don't see that I work for them. That's not how I see it. I see that, um, sorry, I don't see that they work for me. I see that I work for them. So I've got clubhouse. Break. <laughs> <laughs> got the wrong way A lot of people, I mean, I used to have the attitude when I used to employ people back in the day, well, you work for me and I pay you so do what I say, but no one wants to feel like that. Mm -mm. And people will only put up with that while they need your money. And when they don't need your money anymore, they'll be gone. Yeah. So, uh, you know, if it weren't for my team, I wouldn't be able to do all the fun things that I do, like do podcasts and go on Clubhouse and just, you know, get I get to do all the fun bits. I get to do mm -hmm. all the bits that I like and I'm very lucky. So I suppose I see my team on a level playing field or I see that I serve them and that's my job. So, um, yeah, that that maybe we do differently. Um, we've got they can challenge me. They know that. They can disagree with me in public. They can shoot me down. They um, they can disagree with me vehemently. Uh, and they can be honest about how they feel. And some people still are a bit nervous about that because I'm the boss. And that's mm -hmm. just in, on them, not on me, because I don't give this boss aura. Right. But most of my team have been with me a while know that I will hear them out. By the way, I'll argue my point hard. So <laughs> if I believe in something, then you better believe in your thing more than me. Otherwise, right. I'm winning. But if they <laughs> believe it more than me and they push me, I'll back down. And I won't let, you know, oh, well, I said it. And, you know, I'll let my team bring ideas and test things. So there's three things. Look, I, I you know, I'm just Rob. I, I'm no massive guru. I'm not Elon Musk. I'm just Rob. 
but um, I try and be very level with people um, and make them feel equally supported and challenged, comfortable but uncomfortable. That's something that maybe I'm a bit different at. I'm, I, I like them to feel comfortable and, and a fun place to work and enjoy their sense of work. But man, I love winding them up and testing them and making <laughs> chaos as well. And, and they all know that and it keeps them on their toes. So I think maybe that's good. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, yeah. In, in working with Ben, with getting everything set up, he, again, just an amazing guy. And the, the loyalty that you inspire from your team uh, is, is amazing. And like I said, it just made me respect you even more um, with, with a lot of things. Um, one thing that you're really vocal about, too, uh, is uh, being adaptable to change as a leader. Could you explain what that means to the leaders who are listening today? 100%. So evolution is really survival of the most adaptable to change because even the dinosaurs were extinct <laughs> and sometimes the strongest who doesn't evolve will die out. And we've all heard stories of massive companies who've gone bust because they didn't evolve. So for me, the true embodiment of entrepreneurship is adaptability to change, spotting a trend, getting on it at the right time, maybe not too early, Maybe let a few test it first and then get in early enough and then really jump on it and leverage it and, you know, saddle up on it and ride it into the sunset. But then know when that that horse is dead and jumping on another horse and finding another trend and another opportunity. I've got a new op book opportunity. It's actually on pre-order now. It's called Opportunity. And, and there's some stories in there I wrote about Coca-Cola used to be medicinal. They weren't always refreshment. Um, and there's many companies, Rolls-Royce used to be aircraft engines before they adapted into cars. Lamborghini used to be tractors until Mr. Ferrari wound up Mr. Lamborghini and said, you just look tractors. <laughs> so, um, and I, I have Lamborghinis and Ferraris, so I, I like both. <laughs> so the point is, over a long enough period of time, you are going to have to adapt and evolve and your company might be completely different. Nokia completely adapted. And then when it didn't, you know, it, it kind of died out. So um, I believe strength and security is about um, being able to change with the times and embracing the new, not too early, not too late, honoring what works, but embracing some new horizons. Social media is a great example. Do you stay on Facebook because that's what you know? Or do you test TikTok and Instagram Reels and Clubhouse because they're the new thing? Well, you probably do both. You probably stick with what you know while it's working. But if you think, oh, this isn't working quite as well, don't, you know, flog the dead horse for five years, test some new things. And some of these new little tests will become the big new things. Like Google have Google X where you can test things and, um, you know, prove if they don't work. And then the things that are left, you can launch them. Match.com, that big dating site, had a little test company over here with a few people called Tinder. And then look what became bigger than Match.com, Tinder. So, <laughs> You've got to stick with what works, of course. They have these little test environments, these incubators, because people don't realize that they think change is quite slow. But if you look in 100-year increments, change is actually, you know, quite fast. And if you want a long company that endures, I bet you in a quarter of a century, your company will probably be doing something completely different to what it is now. So you can either be ready for that and disrupt yourself before that happens, or you can get disrupted into extinction.
Yeah, and, and that's a lot how 2020 was for me. Uh, when everything first hit back in February last year, I was face to face with everything. You know, I, I'm a Reiki healer, Reiki teacher. I taught classes. Uh, I life coach face to face and with everything. And then it's like all of a sudden I couldn't meet with clients. You couldn't be in the same room with them. So adapting, getting online, uh, figuring out things. Uh, I, and I've had I've had more personal growth and more business growth this year with all of the way that I'm expanding because of being that adaptable change. And it doesn't mean that that you're better or worse than anybody else. It just means that you see, okay, this isn't working. So I'm going to problem solve the shit out of this, you know, so so that I can can move forward and and support my family. You uh you have a family. How do you balance the, everything that you do? I mean, when I look at when I look at your bio, look at everything that you do. How how do you how do you be a dad and, and a husband throughout all this? Oh man, it's not easy. <laughs> it's not easy. <laughs> Uh, I don't know how well I do it. You'd have to ask my kids and my wife. Uh, when I see the smiles on their faces in your videos, I think you do pretty well. I, I think, you know, I've probably had my ups and downs and um, hopefully my wife will say to me if I'm, you know, losing focus. I mean, look, my, my wife and my family know what my job is. Mm -hmm. And very often the best thing I can do for them is to go and be a good leader and make a difference in the world in what I do. My wife's very independent, which I think is fortunate because if she was very dependent, in some ways that'd be nice to have all the attention because I do like a bit of attention every now and then. <laughs> we'll be honest about that. Um, but, but in other ways, that would be hard because I probably wouldn't be able to give her the time that she needs. So my wife's very independent. She likes her own space. So we plan the evenings together. We have the lunch together. And then I have areas of time where I'm doing my work or doing Clubhouse and then I have my time when I'm with the children, I have this little rule as well. Like if Ariana ran him now to interrupt, I wouldn't say, oh, no, 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 go away, I'm doing a live. I'd say, yeah, what do you want? And, I, and I'd listen to her. And yeah. if my kids interrupt me, I, I don't shun them off. No. Um, because, you know, they're only young ones. Yeah. Uh, I, I, you know, so um, I, I'm, I'm a work in progress there, Dave, because I think, look, if you want to be a disruptive entrepreneur and you want to be prolific and you want to change the world and you've got a big mission, which I have, then there's going to be cost of that because you can't put your time everywhere. And I'm trying to stay fit and healthy, trying to be a, you know, a, a good family man, trying to, you know, look after all my team, trying to disrupt my own personal brand through Clubhouse, trying to keep my podcast going, going trying to have a social life and some kind of hobbies. And often what I find is I get obsessed over here and I get a bit of attrition over here. And then I'm like, oh, shit, I better have a note. <laughs> and I look after this and this sort of goes. And it is a bit of a constant juggle. And I wouldn't want anyone to think I've got it made and I'm perfect. But regular check-ins with the important people in your life. Like mm. I've got a business partner that needs me sometimes and likes to, you know, to have a bit of me. And I've got my, an MD that even though I'm not operationally involved in my training company, she sometimes needs a bit of me and, you're trying to spread spread yourself thin and give everyone a bit of you is sometimes hard. So I just try and make sure that every now and again, I check in with the right people. And I have a very routine diary. I wrote a book called Routine Equals Results. Yeah. And in there, I just explain in very practical terms how to create an ideal routine that's perfectly balanced for you. And you put in your key life areas, family, health, social, things like that, hobbies, Key result areas, so strategy, vision, planning, and then IGTs, which is income generating tasks, and they should all be compartmentalized in. 
like six-ish to 8 a.m. is when I do a lot of my strategy and vision and sort of catching up with my ongoing projects, smash that out. And then um, 8 till 8.30, I'll usually do a bit of content writing. 8.30 to 9, I'll usually do a live. 9 to 10, I'll usually train. 10, I'll have my second coffee and I'll do a bit of work and strategy. 10 to 11, 30, 12. 12 to 1 is lunch with the family. 1 to 2 is slotted in for podcast interviews. Um, three onwards at the moment is left for clubhouse, but in other times it's meetings and things. So it sounds quite restricting, but it's actually very freeing. And I keep, I always go to bed early and I keep evenings free. And I'm doing this for you, Dave, now because of the time difference, but I wouldn't normally do interviews this late. And I keep my evening free to, you know, maybe, um, I was going to say Netflix and chill, but I do a lot more Netflix <laughs> than chilling, to be honest. I hear you. I do that too. I, I, YouTube is such a powerful tool for business, but it also is a big time sink for me sometimes. Yeah, I think one of the neatest videos you did is when when you're you're talking and, and your son just comes up behind you and just puts his head on your shoulder and you don't lose a beat. You just continue talking. And it, it's such an endearing video. And, and it's just, I love the way that you can bring family and business together and, and that that's the whole point of being an entrepreneur is that you can live the life that you want to live. One thing you hit on a little bit is that you have had failures. So I know all your successes and, and I think that people watching you, they see your successes and, and people who are like, well, I've had so many failures in my life. I don't know if I could be like him or if I don't know if I can be successful or if I'm worthy of being successful. What, what would you tell people that are feeling that their, their uh, failures define them? Um, well, in some ways, your failures do define you mm -hmm. because there is not success without failure. Failure and success are yin and yang. And people try and separate them. You failed, you succeeded. But there are multiple failures in success. Therefore, failure is success and success is multiple failures. So if we stop separating it and we realize that failure is on the way to success and it's not in the way to success, then we don't see it as absolute. We don't. We see it as temporary. We don't beat ourselves up about it. We realize that other people have endured it, too. If you're not if you're not doing any failure, then you're not taking enough risk and you're not putting yourself out there enough. Uh, and so, yeah, I would say to people, don't let your fail failures define you other than that it's part of your journey to success and it's a necessary part of success. And I would say daily I make small failures and I've had one or two big failures, but actually I've never gone bust. I've never had a massive epic public fail. I mean, look, Dave, once or twice a year, I put a Facebook post up and people go <laughs> wild, wild. Um, because sometimes I just, I am a bit quick. Uh, or I, I can be a bit edgy or, um, you know, or sometimes maybe maybe I want the controversy or just sometimes I don't fully think of the consequences. Right. But, you know, that's OK. And some people will unfollow you and some people will follow you for that. But, uh -huh. uh, you know, we, when we've had two or three disruptions in our company, whether we've had potential legal issues or, you know, we've had a, a, we've let down a few clients, then we write it. And we, we, we refund them if it needs to be done or we sort mm -hmm. our PR out. Um, but thankfully, as of yet, there's been no big failures. I think it's far better to fail really small every day and fail forward and fail forward fast than it is to have big epic failures. But maybe I should take more risks and have bigger epic failures. I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it just 
success is part of failure is part of success you can't get it you cannot get around it it's just the way it is yeah i i completely agree i mean i i have so many people that that i, that I coach and that i work with who you know th they feel that the failures are just all that they're ever going to be and i'm like look like exactly what you said they're not they're not in your way it's on your way and and i love that, that you said it that way because it's the truth you have to be able to learn and you have to have this lesson and if you don't then you're not going to enjoy it when you do succeed you know because if it, if it was that easy you just wouldn't enjoy it and and so that's the big thing one thing with you is you also are very heavily into real estate and properties and, and you know and investing in real estate would you have some advice for a new real estate person that just closed their first deal and they have this new capital how would they use this capital to to build their business like do you have any advice for someone like that yeah stay local uh, a lot of people talk about you know investing all over the place chasing the highest yields or you know the best deals stay local because the management the maintenance the um you know the relationships the mm -hmm. realtors or the estate agents as we call them in the uk there you know you can build much more relationships with them You'll get past the best deals when you're known locally and you can't get known globally for real estate. You could be known globally, but not for real estate. You know, so you could bring whoever is the biggest real estate investor in the world. You could bring them to Peterborough and they're not beating me because I know Peterborough like them. It's just, just and it's not because I'm better than them. It's just I know this eight mile radius catchment area. Mm -hmm. So one, stay local. Two, don't let a, let a lack of finance hold you back. You could do partnerships, joint ventures, options and installment contracts. So there are creative ways, um, you know, to uh, acquire property. Three, get them managed well. A lot of people chase the deals and they, you know, they're looking for the yields or the returns or um, they get excited about the negotiation and getting the deal. But getting the deal is the easy bit. You've got to manage it for another 15 or 20 years. Now, that can be systemized with a good agent. And, you know, it's doable, of course. But don't forget the management. That's that's really important. And then four would be scale, but scale slowly. Start with a few single units. Um, and then what do you call them? Duplexes. We call them one, one beds, two beds, three beds here. Um, and then go to a, a multi-let, which is six or eight people sharing a house. And then go to a bigger multi-let. And then a small shop with a flat above it. And then a bigger commercial and a bigger one. And then in, in the end, you develop. So um, progress up the ladder because the bigger the deals, the bigger the money. But do it progressively and incrementally. That's awesome. Great, thank you. And then uh, you, you hit on opportunity earlier, but could you tell us could you tell us about opportunity and when it's coming out and what it's about? Sure. So my new book is called Opportunity: Seize the Day, Win at Life. It's out on the twenty fifth of March in the UK, but pre orders are open. It's out a bit later in the US, um, but that's no problem because I'm going to be offering some bonuses um, for a bit, you know, uh, in 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 time for the US market. But you can buy it in the UK or the US. It's called Opportunity Seize the Day, Win at Life. And what it's about is uh, forging opportunities. It's about spotting the right opportunities, taking the right opportunities, saying no to the wrong opportunities, and then leveraging the opportunities. Wow. So some people don't get any opportunities because they don't know how to spot them. Mm -hmm. Some people can see them but can't take them. Some people can't can take them but can't scale them. Some people take too many opportunities and get overwhelmed and they don't know how to say no and they don't know how to pick the right opportunity. So in, it's a, so in that regard, it's a book that can help a lot of people. So it's called Opportunity, Seize the Day, Win at Life.
That's awesome. I, um, what advice would you have for a new author? Because that, that actually is me. So my book comes out March 20th and it's, uh, it's called discovering your soul cube. And it's basically about discovering the divine spark in everyone. And what advice would you have for a new author? Like, like me promote the shit out of it for many, <laughs> many, many months or years. Okay. Book, a book does not promote itself. <laughs> so um, I, I write a lot of books. So if I was giving advice to myself, Dave, I'd probably say write a few less books and promote them more and continually. But I get excited, launch a book, promote it, give it a few months and then oh, I'm writing the next one. And then <laughs> I, I probably have too short a promotion cycle if, you know, if I was critiquing myself. Um, but Give give a, a nice bonus or two, or two away for people who buy maybe five copies and incentivize extra purchases. Mm -hmm. Maybe and reward people for sharing it. Ask them to read and review it. Basically, you've got to be pretty pushy um, because even the people who sell millions of books, we assume that they just lay back and all the books <laughs> come rolling. But no, they shamelessly promote it. I, no. I, listened, to, I listened to Michael Ca an interview with Michael Caine, who's a famous actor in the UK. And he said, you know, people think you get paid 10 million for a movie. You don't. You get 2 million for the movie and 8 million for the promotion. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you don't just act the movie. You've got right. to do all the media. You've got to travel to the world promoting it. And, and that was a bit of a light bulb moment for me. Now, of course, in his contract, it doesn't say 2 million for the movie, 8 million for the promotion. <laughs> right. But in his contract, it says all the promotion he has to do. So, Dave, you know, if, if, if you take 50 hours to write a book, you should take 500 hours to promote it. Cool. That's awesome. Thank you. That, that's good advice. When uh, when people are, are looking around for, for mentors or looking for online uh, influencers to follow, when they come across someone who, who is a multimillionaire and who travels in that realm and who, who interviews billionaires, it can be a little bit intimidating because the people are just like, well, I'm just trying to make enough money to pay my bills, you know, and, and I want all that. Is that thinking small and not believing in themselves and not feeling worthy, or, or what have have you come across that when you're coaching others? Yeah, and in myself. Look, when I meet a billionaire, Dave, I get a little bit of a butterfly in my stomach, and I'm a little bit nervous at first. And I'm thinking, I hope they like me. I hope <laughs> I make a good impression. I hope I don't cock this meeting up. <laughs> That's every thought in my head. This one, yeah, ready for you. <laughs> So I, I think it's normal. I think it's just levels. Like if I met someone who was in debt now, I'd feel comfortable and I'd be able to help them and I'd feel secure because I've gone through that process and got out of debt. But if I met Elon Musk or um, Richard Branson, I would be a bit nervous and I'd, I'd have to build up. Like when I went first on Clubhouse, I was very humble and respectful and, you know, probably a little bit less confident in chiming in and, 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 you know, I'm still like to be humble and respectful, but I'll put my point across. I'll have a good debate and discussion, even if someone's got a big following or they're a celebrity, because I found my feet through getting some experience. So mm -hmm. if people are, are nervous or worried or not feeling significant, challenge yourself with those feelings, feel uncomfortable and do it anyway. But remember, they're a human being and you're a human being. I've been talking to some amazing people on Clubhouse, people who have got more money than me. Um, I've just met a chap who is the um, I don't in Asia. I don't know which country, but he is the apprentice guy. So he's the Donald Trump or the Alan Sugar in okay. his country in Asia. 
And he said, Rob, I've been listening to your rooms. You're amazing. I love your vibe. And we, I brought him up in a room and we, we met and we connected well. There's um, a lovely chap I've met who's got the biggest collection of Rolls Royces you've ever seen. <laughs> now, I've got a nice supercar collection, but he's got it on another level. And he's like, Rob, you're brilliant on Clubhouse. And I'm like, you're brilliant in business. And we, um, you know, we had a good long phone conversation. We're going to do some work together. So, you know, just try and be comfortable who you are. Know your worth and your value. Try and help people and offer that worth and value to others and, and just own your space. But I do still get nervous, Dave, because remember, the, uh, the young fat me wants to people please and wants to make a good impression because he didn't get noticed when he was a kid. And so that can be bad and good. It's good because, you know, I try and make a good impression and I try and do good things for people and, and be kind and respectful and all that. But it can be bad because sometimes I don't truly know my value or, or well, I do hold my space. I just feel it inside. But I've, I've made myself challenge it and push through it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Living in the, the the uncomfortable, you know, pushing yourself outside the comfort zone. Uh, that, that's one of the biggest things I, I always tell people when I coach them. It's like I'm going to reach into your chest and just kind of stir things up, you know, because I, I, you, you're too comfortable and I need to push you out. And it's just it it's crazy that they don't understand that at first. And then when we start talking, they're like, stop it. What are you doing to me? I don't like having these feels. <laughs> uh, and, and it's amazing. What's um, besides opportunity, what else is on the forefront for you? What's, what's coming up in your life this year? Oh, wow. Well, this year I would planned it to be about growing my personal brand nationally and globally. So in the UK, I'm one of the you know, in the business world, mm-hmm. I am one of probably the, the top 0.1%, what you might call creators or influencers, I would say. Um, but th- but in, in America, I might be in the top 10%, so much lower. So I thought, well, I need to get the recognition, the growth, the impact, the exposure, the influence um, in America that I have in the UK. So last year, retired operationally from my companies, handed over the full operational management to my MD and said, right, I'm going to go and figure out, grow my personal brand in America. And then Clubhouse opened up and it was almost serendipitous. And it opened up, I felt, because if I take it on a personal level, I finally embraced letting go and really let Catherine, my MD, take full autonomy. And I felt like that was my reward because Clubhouse has helped my brand globally. We may not have met were it not for Clubhouse. There's people yeah. on this live who met me f- from Clubhouse. I, I, I'm in the top 100 most followed people in the world on Clubhouse. Yeah. Now, if I was that on Facebook, I'd have 50 million followers. <laughs> if I was that on Instagram, I'd have, uh, you know, 50 million followers. So, you know, in these early stages, that's pretty impactful. Yeah. Um, I'm going to do more podcast interviews to promote my book, Opportunity. I'm going to give more content and give the world more value. Um, I'm probably going to end up creating a new business or products and services out of it. I'm looking to acquire some companies to grow my existing um, company base. Mark and I are developing 142 units, so we'll finish many of them off. Wow. I just want to keep going and keep growing. That, that That's amazing. I mean, you just you really can't ask for, for better than that. Clubhouse... Um, we've talked, we hit that a lot. There's a lot of people still don't know what Clubhouse is. Uh, and it's kind of like the wild west of social media right now. What, uh, <laughs> what are you doing? Who yeah. are you? I, I know because I'll talk to people about Clubhouse and like, well, what is it? I don't understand. And they're like, oh my God, you know, and, and it has changed so many things 
for one thing, for me, I, I think from from listening and absorbing it, I've it's one of the so it's one of the best social media climates that I found where people are just there to help other people. I, I've rarely been in a room where there's been any kind of disruption or kind of negativity. It's always been, hey, you know what? I have some information that I'm going to give you freely just to make your life better. If you want it, please listen. And this world needs that kind of stuff so much right now. So, so, and you have been at the forefront. I mean, the ideas that you had about how to, uh, like with my podcast, I'm one of those podcasts that's still in the not making money phase, but listening to the things with you is this is how you can monetize your podcast. These are, these are what works. These are what don't works. And, and you were in one room one time where you, somebody said, you know, I, I don't really like, um, you know, to listen to a podcast and you hear a mattress commercial and the podcast has absolutely nothing to do with a mattress, <laughs> you know, and, and it's true because I, I don't want to be that. I, I want to be more authentic than I want to live true to who I am and to my brand. So the advice that you give, I, I've taken and I, I've, I've run with it and it even gave me the courage to be able to reach out to you and ask you to be on, on my podcast today. So I just, I want to thank you for all that you do for the world because you, you literally, you change people's lives. You're what, when I coach people, I, I talk to them. It's like, you know, I want to teach you how to love yourself. I want to teach you how to claim your personal power. I want to teach you how to, how to self lead. I want to teach you how to be authentic so that you gain loyal followers. And then in the end, I want to teach you how to change the world, how to change your community, how to leave a legacy. And that has been my thing. And you epitomize everything. That, that I try to do to help people. And, and so I, again, you being on my show today was such an honor. And, and I just want to thank you very much for being here. My absolute pleasure, Dave. Love the work you're doing. Great to meet you. Great to get to know you. Keep doing your thing. You're making a difference. And thanks everyone for tuning in. Thank you. Bye everybody.